moving through the book of Mark, Mark chapter 7. And we're going to continue the theme of the book of Mark, which is to show that the Lord Jesus, he's God's servant. That's what he came to do. That's what he came to be. And he's doing God's will. I want to go back a little bit because the period period that we're going through is called the intertestamental period. It's the time between the close of the Old Testament scripture and the beginning of the New Testament scriptures. Many things are going on. Uh, remember that the children of Israel, they just come back from Babylon. They came up with a lot of different things. They, synagogues were started over there. Uh, the Pharisees were started in Babylon, the Sadducees, the scribes, and the Herodians. Remember, Ezra was the founder uh, of the, I can't think of right, the scribes. He was a scribe. And, and the scribes, they not only looked at the letter of the law, but more than that, they were more spiritual discerning. It was the spirit of the law that they were really stuck with. Uh, of course, the Pharisees, they defended the Bible. They believed the entire Old Testament scriptures, not like the Sadducees. They believed, uh, they didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe uh, the after the five books of the Pentateuch, they didn't really say the other Old Testament scriptures were written of God. And they they started putting in, their philosophy, traditions. That's why when Jesus touched down, he hits the scenes, he starts breaking down the traditions of men that they had upheld to a higher standard, really to the law. Jesus will handle this a lot tonight. The Herodians, they come on the scenes and they were people who were just nationalists. They followed Herod as long as one of the sons of Herod, Herod was on the throne. They were fine with it. But verse 1 tells us, then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, to Jesus, having come from Jerusalem. Anytime they take the time to come from Jerusalem, they're being nosy. They're trying to spy out. They've heard all this news of what this Messiah is doing. So they send some boys out to check it out for themselves. Now, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. That's always easy to do, find fault, especially when you're looking to find fault. And that's what they're doing here. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the traditions of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washings of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. And this is really fake news that's going on about Jesus. They've heard of him, but they haven't experienced him. So they're, they've come down to spy out what's going on, why all the, the roaring and why all the multitudes of people are following him. So they're looking for some way they can catch him. Remember Mark 6, chapter 30, it says, Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Because remember, John the Baptist is in, is in Marcarius at this time. 
And so Jesus, they go away to Bethsaida with Jesus. So all the scribes and the Pharisees, they're trying to find a way to catch Jesus, to see what's going on. Matthew tells a story in Matthew 12, 30. He says, Jesus says, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. And that's what's happening when the Pharisees are coming and all of the rest of these sects are coming together. They're really not coming to follow Jesus. They're coming to find a reason why the multitudes and the crowds don't follow him. So you have a handful of people that are following Jesus, loving his teaching, loving everything about him, and there's going to be a clash here. You know, we can come to church for a lot of reasons. Our friends may come, uh, you like this, you like that, but are we coming to learn of Christ? That should be most important for us. They said this about Jesus Christ in John 7, 46, never man spake like this man. That was the testimony of his enemies also. So, of course, it wasn't difficult to find a reason to fault the Lord Jesus because of these traditions. He's tearing them down one by one. And they weren't really criticizing the disciples because of their etiquette. I don't use a fork unless I have to, especially since I've had the aneurysm. It's, it's funny. Now when I eat, I tell Lydia, I don't like eating difficult foods. Where it's a lot of food on my plate, I don't like that. Just make it simple. The bacon here, the egg here, and the, and the, and the biscuit here, I can handle it easy then. But any, anything that's a lot going on on my plate, it makes it hard for me. So Mark is telling this story because it comes from the book of Leviticus, all of these ceremonial washings and cleansing they would have. So once again, this was they weren't talking about just washing hands. I think it was uh, Edershine who said they would take, after they would wash their hands to cleanse their hand, the ceremonial washing was they would take a, a, a half a cup of an egg, the half of the egg, and they would pour it on their hands, and they would like this, and they would let it run down until it almost was going to run off their fingers, and then they would hold it back, and they would pour another half a cup of, of an egg filled with water on their hands. That was the ceremonial washing there. So you can see them doing this in the marketplace before they ate, before they did anything, and all that does is bring attention to you. It, it has no benefit for your hands being clean. But verse 4 tells us, and there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washings of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. All of these things that they had to do were burdensome. But since the tradition was this is what you do, they fell into it. It had nothing to do with drawing closer to the Lord or anything. It was just, well, my grandmother did it. And my mother did it, so I'm going to do it. And that word washing there is baptismo. So what they were doing, they were baptizing all of these uh, plates and dishes, making them ceremonial clean, they thought, so that they could use them. That's why Jesus is going to say, hey, what's more clean, 
what defiles a man, and we'll get to that. Verse 5, then the Pharisees and the scribes asked them, why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Mark 7, uh, verse 6 says this, he answered and said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. This is the reason why. Teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. That's why we need to understand when people say, oh, you read the Bible, man wrote it. We know that's an error right from the beginning. The Bible is God-breathed, ruach. God breathed his word. And while they were writing, they were writing and putting it down as the Lord wanted them. No error know anything to it. That's why when they were right things, they could hardly understand if they could understand what they had written because God was in control. Romans 10 says this, because it's with the heart. The heart must be involved to worship the Lord. You can't worship him with your mind. It takes the heart. It's by the heart man reaches out to salvation. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That it only catches, it only is beneficial to an unsaved person when they seek the Lord with their entire heart. Jeremiah tells us that. It won't work any kind of way, any other kind of way. Verse 7 says, And in vain, Jesus says, they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. And what he's really saying, worship is meaningless when the rules are men are substituted for the word of God. We have this in a lot of churches. That's why I love uh, Restore or any Bible teaching church when it's the word that has the spotlight. Because if you're teaching the word, that spotlight is going to be on Jesus Christ. And that's the way it should be. So I was talking to this, a lady who came to church last week, two weeks ago, and she said, I come here because the word is taught. I can go to other churches. They can jump up and down. They have great worship. They have great this. But when it comes to the word, I leave as if I'm missing something. I'm, not, I'm still not full. And that pleased me because we're about the word. The word is what changes someone along with the Holy Spirit. When those two come in contact with each other, then you will be changed. You will be saved. That's where the power comes from, the word of God. Verse 8, he says, for laying aside, Jesus tells them, for laying aside the commandment of God, notice they have put that to a side, you hold the tradition of men. That can't be anything but problems when you do that. And he, he tells them why the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said to them, all too well, you reject the commandment of God. Why are they rejecting the commandment of God? That you may keep 
your traditions. And that's what Jesus has come to break down. They were substituting the traditions of men for the word of God. That's backwards. Uh, I ought to say it like my dad would say it, but I'd have to leave here. (laughs) A tradition, you know, may actually, traditions can be good. When you're speaking of football or family traditions, sports and all those things, if you like tradition, but tradition has no place when it's going against the word of God. When, when you set tradition higher above the word of God. Hey, we've always had red carpet in the church. That's the tradition. We're leaving if, if the red carpet comes up. Things like that. We've always had Sunday school in church. If you cut out Sunday school, we're going to leave. Those are nothing but traditions. The Bible speaks nothing of those things. But it becomes evil again when you put tradition above the word of God. And that's what Jesus is getting on to, to them about. And it's a, it can be a slow process because first they substituted a creed. And creeds are good, but not when it, it's going up against the word of God. Then they began to substitute the word of man and thinking that that is higher than the word of God in their denomination. And before long, the word of God was out the window. They, were, they weren't even teaching the word anymore. This has happened again and again in many of churches. When I first got saved, I would spend my entire Sunday when I would come home from church. That would probably be around 12 o'clock. From 12 o'clock to 6 o'clock, I would watch TBN, a, a brand new Christian. And the more I learned about the word of God, the lesser I started watching TV. And it was a couple of them that was pretty good. But then if you give them time, they won't, they're not even pretty good anymore. They're into the naming of claiming. They're, they're about just, you, you got to do this. And if, if, you're, uh, if you're not serving God wholeheartedly, 100%, if you're messing up here and there, if you've got any kind of sin in your life, the Lord won't listen to you and all these things. And I was just thankful that I cut my teeth on the scriptures. I've always rode with the scriptures. You won't be led astray if you do that. Verse 10 says, he's, Jesus still, still speaking, for Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. Be a lot of dead people. <laughs> I'd be one of them. <laughs> but you say, Jesus says, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might, have received from me is, is Corban, that, that is a gift to God. So Jesus is telling them, follow the word of God, do what the word of God says, not with your tradition. And the thing, probably the, the, the male was trying to get away from is when the parents would die, they would have to take care of them, their money, use their money to take care of them, all of these things. But if you would send it to the temple or give it and say it's Corbin, then you wouldn't have to give your money to help your parents. My issue with this is I dug, I looked. I, every time I come to this verse, I, I wish somebody would know the answer. Could 
the guy then go back when the parents have, have died and get the money from the temple. It's either give the money to the temple or keep it in, and take care of your parents. I would have took care of my parents. So it's, it's got to be some kind of underlying benefit for them to do that. But either way, they would do this to keep from taking care of their parents. Verse 12 says, then you, Jesus, letting them know why this is wrong, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect. That's in the Ten Commandments. Honor your mother and father, that your days may go be long on the earth. Through your tradition, the tradition has taken control, has taken over. You're, you're obeying the tradition, but you're not obeying Thus saith the Lord, and many such things you do. These traditions were very pernicious. And anytime man is going against the word of God, no matter how good he might think his tradition is, it's nothing against thus saith the Lord. I'm going to give you an example. You might get mad at me, you might not, but I'm going to tell you this is the truth. This is terrible. All of these NGOs, and, and, and I really, I'm just going to say it because uh, the Catholic Church, they're just money and everything they're pouring in for illegal aliens to come over here. They fund them. They do all of these things. Now, the law of the land say. They should come the right way. Anybody who comes the right way, I have no problem with. But they're doing it the wrong way, and it's the, it's the churches that are funding, the Catholic church are funding these things, and it shouldn't be. They're Really, they're saying Corbin to the word of God. That's really what they're doing here. All of this money in the coffers, going to the Catholic Church and going to these funds and going to all of these things for illegal aliens. Anybody who comes the right way, more power to you. But it, but it affects everybody. Plus, they're doing it the wrong way. That's what Jesus is saying. Verse 14, when he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear me, everyone, and understand. Jesus is blowing the trumpet. There is nothing that enters a man from outside. So he's getting on them, speaking to them about all of the ceremonial washings they're doing, which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. So he's differentiating between the external and the internal part. He says, it's, the problem is not the outside. The problem is the inside. He says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear, meaning that some is going to listen to him and still not obey, still not going to believe. When he had entered a house, and he's going to give an example when he goes into this house, away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, are you thus without understanding also? I wonder how he said that. I love the tone when someone speaks to me, Victor Allen Summerhour, I'm looking for what they're saying and how they're saying it. 
I gather all of that because you can say things to me, but if, if the way you say it is hard and like that, it, it rubs me the wrong way. And I'm sure I'm not the only one in here like that. It seems Jesus was like this. He says in verse 18, do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? And he's speaking of the things that can affect the inner man, the soul. That's what he's speaking of. Nothing on the outside can touch your soul. Cannot touch you. The constitution of the heart from the outside, it cannot be touched or broached. That's what Jesus is saying. So he's saying food doesn't change what the heart is or what it may become. It doesn't matter what you eat or the way you wash your hands. Has nothing to do, will not affect the heart. You're looking for amens for yourself, really, because you're wanting everybody to see you like the Pharisees would stand on the corner and toot their own horns. That's what they wanted to see. Jesus said, you have your reward. He says, because it does not enter into his heart, but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. That tells me, because Romans chapter 3 tells us that when a man is born, he's born with a corrupt heart. So it's defiled from the beginning. And so then he's going to show them why it's defiled. In verse 21 through 23, he says, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murder. That's having a hatred, emotions towards someone also goes for murder. Thefts, you you can take something, you can steal something, or just loafing off on a job. That's still theft. Covetousness, wickedness, all acts are intended to hurt people. That's wickedness. Deceit, the pretense that people put up with, lewdness, an evil eye, which is envy, blasphemy, slander against God or man. And then he says pride. God hates this above all else. Foolishness, I like what he has here. He says foolishness, acts done without any respect for God or man. That's what he considers foolishness to be. And then Jesus says, all these evil things come from within and defile a man. So the problem is the problem of the heart. That's what you have to get straightened out. And the only way that can happen is to get a new heart. I'll guarantee you, all of these things I've just said that defile a man, you can scroll your phone, get to the news section, and begin to read a paragraph or maybe two. And you will find most of these in the headlines because that's the problem with man, the problem of the heart. He says in verse 24, from there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it. I'm amazed at how many times Jesus didn't want anybody to know he was in the scene, in the area, went into a house. He didn't want anybody to know he would go into the synagogue, probably sit by himself, not wanting to bring any attention to himself. The crowds were getting huge, a lot larger at this time. So it was harder for him to minister. But he could not be hidden. 
For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. That took courage right there. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Matthew gives his account of this, and I think Matthew said, they were screaming, son of David, come and heal my daughter, son of David. Son of David, we know, was a title for the Messiah. But the problem was she wasn't Jewish. She was Gentile. And I think, just like I think here, Jesus doesn't want any hypocrisy. To get to him, I don't need to be Jewish. I just need a sincere heart and calling out to him. That's why in Matthew's account, when she finally, Jesus doesn't say much to her, she finally says, oh, Lord, help me. Something as simple as that. And that's when he stopped and began to communicate with this woman, just like he's doing now. But Jesus said to her, let the children, he says this in Matthew 2, let the children be filled first. For it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Pastor Jonathan, he taught on this, and he's right. The, the name of that word is a, a diminutive puppy. Everything. They can be diminutive these days. They can be large. I'm still wondering sometimes, I should be a dog. I've been to many people's house, a house dog, this little diminutive dog, because they get treated well. I should have been, thinking of what I should have been, I should have been a veterinarian. I mean, the places stay packed. Anytime I bring my dog to take my dog somewhere, it, it takes two hours for, for them to even look at him. Dogs are the most blessed animals that God ever created, right or wrong. Now, Paul might say no cat. His kitten might be, his cat might be. But dogs, I mean, they've got it made. So Jesus is not using this as a derogatory term. I just told you it was diminutive. It was the, the, the house dog, the little puppy that you carry and you take him everywhere with you and you feed him while you're eating, you're both eating, all those things you love him. And so that's what Jesus is saying to her. And she answered, but even with that, It shows her need, and she knows something about Jesus Christ. He's long-suffering, and he's merciful. And she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, you're right. Yet even the little dogs, that's why she says that, under the table eat from the children's crumb. I know I'm a Gentile. I know it's going to get, well, she didn't know it's going to all get straightened out. It's going to be one at the end anyway, but she'll accept this. Then he said to her, because even though he says this, I think, calls her a little puppy, that's still not, I'm not a Jew. She could have said, hey, forget it. That's the way you're, you're, you're prejudiced, you're bigoted, you're all these things that Jesus was not. But he, I think he was pulling wanting her faith to increase more and more. And anybody, 
that just had a little faith, they might would have said, forget the whole thing. I'm going away if this is the way he's going to treat me. Because I think somewhere down the road, she's going to need that much faith that's what's going to happen in her life. And Jesus is adding to her faith. He's the master teacher. He's the master shepherd. He knows what's coming around the pipe. Then he said to her, for this saying, go your way. For what she said to him, what she told him, the demon has gone out of your daughter. Once again, was Jesus having a bad day? I think he was drawing out faith from her. He knew what she could handle. He knew he didn't mean uh, he, he knew he didn't mean any harm towards her, any of those things. And she stayed and she was blessed for it. Verse 30. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis. Remember, there are the 10 cities to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And there's going to be a linkage here. Uh, he's not hearing well and, uh, and on this day from the Lord. So the Lord is saying, I need you Give me some time. Stick with me. You need to hear and you need to speak, and I'm going to take care of both of them for you. It all, anytime we're with the Lord, reading our word, listening to a message, it all begins with hearing. I can't go out and minister to you or anyone else if I haven't taken in the word first. We need to let the Lord minister us in our morning time, Bible reading in the evening, whenever you read your Bible, then you can go out and minister. You're out of gas if you're going out and ministering and you haven't spent any time with the word, not effectively anyway. You might can go out and do it for a little while, but sooner or later, it all dries up because you haven't sat down with the Lord. And they begged him to put his hand on him and he took him aside from the multitude and put his finger in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. I have a lot of questions to ask the Lord on this. <laughs> a lot of questions to ask. It just doesn't seem right. But he does all things well. I'm going to tell you guys, one of the things, probably the thing I hate, the most to see people do is just spit all the time. I mean, it, it, it just grosses me out. It, come on, do better. And for Jesus to do this and to heal this dude, I've got to ask him that question. <laughs> what, what were you thinking, Lord? Verse 34, then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephrathah, that is, be open." Immediately, it says his ears were open and the impediment of his tongue was loosed and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one. There it is again. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure saying, he has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Mark chapter eight. Some people say the feeding of of this uh, 4,000 is just 
the same feeding of the first account of this multitude, but it was 5,000 there. And this one, this account is kind of overlooked because they say, oh, it's the same thing, but it's not. It's about seven different things that make, that lets us know this is not the feeding of the 5,000, and the 5,000 is one of them. But verse 1 says, In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued. Notice what he says. They have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way for some of them have come from afar. Jesus always, he's always fed those who are already, this is the key, already being taught and instructed. When we go out and minister, we tend to let's grill hot dogs or grill hamburgers, but we do that for hopefully people will come out. But Jesus didn't do it this way. Jesus, when he was teaching, when they had hung out with him, then he fed people. Galatians 6.10 says, the Apostle Paul says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. That's where ministry starts. There's hurting people at CR. We, we, we need to make sure we're taking care of one another. That's why Jesus, if they were hanging out and having Bible study, and he said they've been with me now two or three days, he fed them. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 3, verse 6, remember when Peter, was it Peter and uh, James, John, yeah, Peter and James, they, they go out. He, he says, silver and gold, the, the, the beggar. He says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. By this time, they said, they had a lot of money in the church, in the coffers. And for Peter to say, I don't have any, he would have been lying. What he was saying, I'm not giving you silver or gold, but this is what I will give you, the word of God. I have to go over this with my mama all the time, you guys. My mom thinks if she don't give us uh, a beggar a dollar or two when he, when she sees them, she's not doing what the Lord wants her to do. And I've, get, I've gotten Matthew and I've went through the gospels with her and told her, no, mama, I don't know if this is one of my favorite scriptures or maybe I'm telling on myself because I'm quick to pull the scripture out what the apostle Paul says. If a man doesn't work, he, sh- he says he shouldn't eat. So my first question is, if I see someone on the side of the road and if they look healthy, now I know I'm not talking about mental issues, but look healthy and all, I'm wondering why they don't have a job with all these jobs around. And the Lord has never... Anytime he's moved on my heart to give, I will give. But I'm not an ATM machine. 
because you're on the side of the road. I, I don't do that. I firmly believe what he says, the Holy Spirit says, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. Verse four, then his disciples answered him, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? He asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish and having blessed them, he said he set to, to set them also before them. So they ate and were filled and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000 and he sent them away, immediately got into the boat with his disciples and came to the region of Dalmutha. Uh, in, in Matthew's gospel, they went to Magadan. That's another reason they say these are two different uh, occasions. Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute. They were debating Jesus with him, seeking from him a sign. The Jews always ask or look for a sign. Jesus tells them he's not going to give them a sign from heaven testing him. That's why. And he knows they're testing him. What are your credentials, Jesus? Show, show us a sign. Jesus has cleansed the leper. He's healed the paralytic. He's cast the demon out of the synagogue. He's touched uh, Peter's mother-in-law, healed her. He's touched Tabitha and healed her. He's this sign after sign after sign. They've heard of him because they've come down to Jerusalem to witness this. So what that shows me, they're not wanting a sign. They have a hard heart. They're, want, they're, they're heaping up to themselves excuses why they don't want to follow the Lord. He knows that. That's why he says in verse 12, but he sighed deeply, shows his, his humanness, his distress in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you that remember, assuredly is verily, verily, I say to you, or I tell you the truth, no sign shall be given this generation. He says in Matthew, except for the sign of Jonah. And then when they received that sign, they still didn't believe shows their obstinate heart again. They, they really didn't want a sign. John chapter three, verse two says this. This man came to Jesus by night, speaking of Nicodemus, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these things, these signs that you do unless God is with them. So Nicodemus, an unbeliever at the time, knew most of them probably knew they just didn't want to give their lifestyle up to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it boils down to. That's what it usually boils down to. Now, the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. This is called the principle of of first mention. The first time you find a word in the scriptures, whether it's the Old Testament all the way down, that's usually the root. That's what, where you go to for your main definition of the word. 
So he says, the leaven of Herod. Exodus 12, 15 says this, seven days, Yahweh is telling them, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses, speaking of Passover, for whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Exodus 34, 25 says this, you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven, nor shall the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover be left until morning. Get to the New Testament. We look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says this, Paul, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you you, since you truly are unleavened, for indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with the old leaven, leaven is a picture of sin, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Yeast was a common Jewish metaphor. Once again, it's, and it stands for, it, 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 it's invisible, it's pervasive, you don't even know it's acting when it's acting, and, it's, and it influences whatever it touches. It's a corruptive influence. That's why he uses leaven as sin. You th- First, you, you're doing a little sin. You think it's a little sin. But sin never stops right there. It continues to affect you until it controls you. And that's what Jesus is telling them, letting them know. They say in verse 16, And they reason among themselves, saying, is it because we have taken no bread? How they connect that together, I don't understand. They've been walking with him now for about two years, two two years, and you would think they would just take him as his word. There's no sin in him. He's never said a, a, a tough word to them. He's probably never raised their voices. He's he's did everything well. And for them to think he was upset with them, that's crazy. It goes right over their heads. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, this is the problem, O ye of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Reason, they're calculating, they're adding up. Oh, he's going to be upset. We didn't bring any bread. That's what's going on in their hearts. And then he says, do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? And that's the problem. Matthew says, why are you reasoning? They say, he says, why are you reasoning along these lines? Do you not yet understand This speaks of a process. That's what Jesus is trying to get to them, a process which has reached their state of completion, and they are in a state of settled hardness. Their hearts have grown hard. And just think, these men are the disciples, will be the apostles, and he's getting on them about having a hard heart. You've seen, they're almost getting in a rut. They've seen Jesus do miracles after miracles. They're walking with him. And they almost think, hey, we're Jesus too. You, Jesus, why, are you, why, why do you have time for these people? You shouldn't. I don't, but they're with Jesus. And they, they want to spend all the time they can with him. 
He says in verse 18, having eyes, you do not see. That's a hard heart. And having ears, you do not hear. That's a hard heart. And you do not remember. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, 12. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. So he said to them, how is it you do not understand? I don't have any problem feeding you. And you haven't did anything for me to be upset with you. Why would you think I would be upset? Then he came to Bethsaida, and they, and they brought a blind man to him, and they begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his, on his eyes, let me read that. And when he had spit on his eyes, it says that. Paul, remind me to ask the Lord when I get to heaven. Okay. I got to ask him on this. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's not right. <laughs> and when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. This issue doesn't have to do with Jesus. It has to do with this man. John Corson says, we can treat individuals like trees walking. We, we're, and what I mean, we're always touching the surface. Hey, how are you doing? And our conversation never get any deeper than that. That's when you're treating people like trees walking. You see the peripheral of the people. But to see people the way Jesus sees them, you sit down and you get to, you start pouring into one another. And when you start pouring into one another, the next time you're praying for yourself, oh, I I remember I need to pray for this person. I spent time with this person. They're struggling in this way. And so you no longer see men as trees. You see them as individuals, a person just like us. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. And that's the way we need to see everyone. My toughest times is when I've already think I know a person but I'm only touching the surface. And then when I get to know them, I say, man, I was all in left field. I thought this, I thought Pat was like this, and I thought Pat was like that, and I thought, Pat's a pretty cool dude. Even though he's a Georgia fan, he's a pretty good dude. And, and, but if I would have only touched the surface, that's what Jesus is saying. To come to church and say, hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? And then hear the message and leave. We're not growing to our potential because it's about getting to know one another. I need to know Zach's problems and issues and what's going on in his life. And I need to tell him mine. And we get to know one another. Cornelia. Once again, we don't want to be a bag of marbles scraping up against one another. We want to be that bag of fresh grapes. Shake them up a little bit, and then the juices start 
twining with each other. That's koinonia. That's what the Lord Jesus says the body of Christ is. But we can't if we're not saying anything but besides hello and goodbye. Verse 26, then he sent him away to his house, saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. He's probably going to tell just like the man he healed, restored it from lep- leprosy. You guys, let's remember that you, y'all, are the body of Christ. You affect this church. We get along better. We grow better. We're in unity together when we're conversating and pouring in one another's life. That's why I can't wait till we start these Bible studies, these home group Bible studies, because we're going to get to plug in. We're going to be more intimate. We get to know one another. We can have conversations. So please, please find a Bible study group. Pat, once again, is this, have, have I, have I uh, told you guys about the Bible study? You, you do know we're going to have Bible study after Easter, right? Everybody knows that? Pat didn't know it. Pat said I never brought it up. <laughs> I love you. That's why I'm doing this. No, but I can't wait till we start. Be, start reading the book of Daniel because Daniel's going to be tough. But I know the leaders we have, plus the people who will be coming, you know enough of the Bible to keep us all on course. So just, just be praying for the home groups. Pray for one another. Pray that God will, I'm not going to, that he will be God and he's going to be God. Let us be faithful to him like he's faithful to us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's good to know that you're right at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, pleading our case. Holy Spirit, it's good to know that you live inside of us and you give us everything we need to live a godly life. We have been sealed when we were saved with the Holy Spirit of redemption, Ephesians tells us. We're going to get to our destiny. But let us not be like the dumb mule that gets there with Jesus having to pull on the reins everywhere we go. No, no, you're, you're off course. Get back on course. No, 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 you're not going the right way. Get back on course. Let us not get there like that. Let us be as David said, to be led with your eyes. You just look a certain direction. We want to walk so close with you that we go to the left or to the right. That's when we're pleasing in your sight, Father. Lord, I pray that you continue to heal Rick Shabelsky quickly. I pray for any other people who are not feeling well, Lord, that has big surgeries coming up, I pray that you will show yourself strong, that you will calm hearts of minds and, and let them realize, let them understand that you love them and you're going to take care of them, Lord. So like Jesus said with the boys on the boat, why 
were you worried? Ye of little faith. Lord, increase our faith. We know that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, that we will be a blessing to the body of Christ. And it's in Jesus' name I pray this, amen.